Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Episode 46, the Prolific Writer Podcast Halloween Special. Philip Fercasi stops by the show. You've been warned. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips and advice on writing fast, writing often and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is your Prolific Writer Podcast host, Ryan J. Pelton, and I am so glad that you're here. However you found us, the podcast and website dedicated to helping you write fast, write often, and write well in no particular order. I am so pumped today. We are having our first annual Halloween special. If you're listening to this podcast fresh and live today, it is Halloween October 31st, 2017. And this podcast isn't even a year old. And so this is our first Halloween special. And I was privileged today to have interviewed Philip Fercasi, who is a horror writer. And I thought he would be a perfect guest to come on the show for the Halloween special. And we talk about a ton of things. And Philip Fercasi is a name you want to keep your eye on. He is a fantastic writer. He has written popular novellas and he's working on some novels has a collection out uh, a story called alter a story called mother that i've read and they're really fantastic and just a, a solid writer a great writer a creepy writer if you like stories of suspense and so i was privileged to have philip on the show and philip is a, a unique guy he's got a a screenwriting background. He's been in the film industry for 20 years and is doing a lot of great things out in the world and this episode is jam-packed with all kinds of great conversation about the writing craft process, um, 
the horror genre and why it isn't what you think it is. And, and maybe I know there's kind of this fear, you know, I, I don't like horror. I don't like scary things, but, but Philip really breaks it down and, and helps us understand kind of what, what the genre is. And it's not just about the scary parts, but it's about relationships. It's about the world we live in and the brokenness and, and all that. And so we just have a great conversation and a lot of things are covered more things than, than I could even imagine. I was so privileged to have him, um, on the show. And so really glad that you could stop by today and thank you everyone for your kind comments and emails and feedback on the show. It's always an encouragement and a blessing. So thank you for that. And, uh, thank you for all the reviews. Um, if you haven't had a chance swing by iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you listen to this show, Stitcher, Google play and leave a leave a review. It's a, it's a great opportunity for us to get the show out into uh, more people and people have been liking the show and we've had a lot of great guests and a lot more great guests coming in November. I'm so pumped, uh, for, uh, won't say it yet, but, uh, but some good guests and some amazing guests that are going to help you in your writing, uh, journey. And so without further ado, I'm going to get to the interview with Philip Fercasi. Enjoy. Well, hey, welcome everyone to the Prolific Writer Podcast. I am privileged and honored today to have Philip Fracassi on the line. He's an author and screenwriter from Los Angeles. Uh, he's worked in the entertainment industry for over 20 years. He's the founder of Equator Books. Um, he also currently serves as uh, works full time in the film industry, and he has some quite a few screenplays: Girl Missing, uh, Santa Paws Two, which we have to talk about, the iconic Santa Paws Two film mm-hmm. um, that changed my life, Escape the Night, The Boys in the Valley, Gothic and Vintage, and now he also does a lot of writing, and that's actually why I had him on the show because I just read Alter and Mother, and they're fantastic, and so. Wanted to uh, share the Philip Fracassi love. So, Philip, say hello and uh, introduce yourself. Tell us anything that I missed. Oh, no, you did great. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, mother, yeah. So, yeah, definitely a screenwriter. Um, well, I, quick, quick history. I, I, yeah, I've, been, I've been a writer for my whole life. Uh, I wrote literary fiction for most of my life, uh, kind of darker, lit, dark, dark literary fiction and, and went nowhere with it. And just wrote a lot of it. I wrote three novels and a bunch of short stories. And then, um, but I've always been really into books, reading. I own a bookstore, as you mentioned, for seven years, and I own a publishing company, and I published a bunch of books by myself and others. And uh, and then about six years ago, I got into screenwriting. I wrote, um, and I just kind of, I, I did, I did okay. I'm still doing it. Uh, I'm still doing it to this day. Um, wrote some scripts for you know that were ultimately distributed by Disney and, and wrote a thriller that was distributed by Lifetime Television. And and uh, and then about two years ago, I started writing uh, horror prose. And and it was like the doors opened. And it was a really great, really great feeling to all of a sudden have people reading my stuff and enjoying it. And, uh, and a lot of doors kind of flung open. And, and Alter, Mother was the first... You mentioned Mother. Mother was the first story uh, I wrote. A, you know, that was a genre story, um, and it got picked up. The first publisher I sent it to was Dunham's Manor Press, and they published it. And this was late 2015. And uh, and then I wrote them another novella called Alter, and that kind of became a bit of a cult hit. 
surprisingly, but happily so. Um, and then I uh, parlayed those two books into a, a two book deal, a three book deal, sorry, with um, Journalstone. So I did uh, a collection of stories called Behold the Void, which is what I'm currently promoting heavily. And then I have two novellas. One's called Fragile Dreams, and one is called Saculina. Um, and then I and I have a bunch of stuff coming up, which we can get into. But yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of brings up to speed on me. Right now, I do work full time in the film industry. I actually have to be on set tomorrow at 3 a.m., so I'm going to be going to bed right after this podcast. <laughs> and uh, and um, and I'm a lo- I work in locations for 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 film and television. I'm doing a show called Silicon Valley right now with HBO. And then. Um, and yeah, and I'm writing full time. Or when I'm not working, I'm writing, and I have a bunch of new stories and uh, cool stuff coming out uh, in the near future. So we'll talk about that. Well, great. Yeah, it, you have an interesting story. There's a lot of threads I, I want to kind of go down if we can, because uh, you kind of burst onto the scene. I mean, I, you know, we're the call the prolific writer podcast because a lot of our writers are just very prolific, and you've been very prolific for a long time. But in a short period of time, once you've kind of decided to kind of lean into genre fiction you've just been busting out stories like crazy it seems like in about last year year and a half and so so it's um obviously you have a you know backstory you've been writing a long time it's not like you just figured it out last week but i wanted to kind of pull on the thread of the screenwriting uh, a little bit because um I, i read some things about you and learned that really you don't have a screenwriting background and you kind of taught yourself uh, screenwriting and read a lot of books and things. So I wanted to kind of talk about that because I think it's, it's fascinating. It's not like you went to school for it and just, you know, what, what kind of was the impetus to say, Hey, I think I want to try screenwriting. And then kind of, what was the journey after that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did try screenwriting very early on and, 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 and failed. I, I've been working in the film industry since 1992. So I moved to LA, uh, and I, you know, with the job waiting um, on a, you know, I, a family friend is a movie producer, and he's, and I'm still friends with him today, and and so he he said, come to LA, I'll, I'll, I'll get you on my movie, and I made a movie called Maniac Cop Three, um, which is the first film I, film I ever worked on, and and that was in 1992. So <clears throat> I was always into film, and I was always, I, you know, and so like I did try screenwriting a little bit. I kind of it didn't really click for me for whatever reason, and and. Um, and it wasn't until uh, about five or six years ago I had an opportunity. I wrote a so here's the way it worked. I wrote a book. I wrote a book that nobody read called The Ego Test, and I self-published it in a very very small run. I, but this uh, friend of a friend read the book, really loved it, um, and said, "This is 1999," and said, "Or sorry, this is 2009." And she said, uh, "I'd love for you to take a crack at this." screen this uh, screenplay this movie that I'm producing and it was um, a movie called Spooky Buddies and it was a Disney film uh, a spin-off of the Airboat movie and I and I just so I downloaded like 20 screenplays and I yeah and I bought uh, two or three books on screenwriting and I read them and I and I just sort of taught myself how to do it and and I and I and I never looked back. I, I ended up writing six screenplays for for them. Only only one was credited. I spent uh, the next several years doing script doctoring and rewrites and punch ups and and I wrote a uh, five or six original screenplays and one of them was a movie called was a script called Forgotten, which was purchased and produced. Um, and uh, became Girl Missing and it ended up being on Lifetime and it's 
on demand right now on Amazon and iTunes. So it was just one of those things where, like the you know, I just I started to do it, and it just kind of it just you know it just kind of worked like. I started, I, I, you know, I was good at it, and, and I started getting positive feedback, and more people started hiring me, and and um, and so I, so I kind of, like I said, I'm still doing it. I'm working right now on a movie called. Um, we're in the very early stages of uh, right now, but I'm writing a movie called Observe, uh, which I'm, uh, which is going to be directed by Philip Chalot, who just directed uh, a movie called They Remain, which is based on the Laird Barron story. He also wrote a movie called Europa Report. Uh, so he and I are working on a movie together right now. I'm working on a TV pilot with another friend who's a writer, uh, very much more established than I am. So some exciting things happening. But yeah, I did not go to school for it. Um, I I am a full blown college dropout. I, I did about a year and a half of college, and I and I and I uh, I couldn't really deal with it. So um, so everything you know, all the stuff that I all the stuff that I'm doing as far as writing and screenwriting, it's all pretty much self taught. Or based on you know I yeah it's just you know I, I read a lot and that kind of I learned from what I from reading I learned a lot about writing and um, and over the years I just kind of developed it I mean writing a lot of literary fiction and then kind of taking my love of horror and the supernatural um, you know there was a moment after I wrote Girl Missing actually when I was on the phone I was working at a marketing company at the time I had taken a break from film because I didn't want to do the hours and. Um, and, uh, and I was calling my, my girlfriend and I was just like, and I said, you know, I just had this amazing epiphany. Why don't I write horror fiction? Like I'm writing these horror screenplays and I'm writing this literary prose. Like, what if I write horror fiction? What do you think would, what do you think would happen? It'd be kind of cool. Right. And so I tried it and that was mother. And then it's been like, I can't, now I can't, my, I can't write fast enough. You know, I have, um, the opportunities that, uh, I have. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm running to catch up constantly. So it's been a really fun ride, and and uh, you know, I've, I've I've published since uh, summer of 2015. I've I've got a collection, uh, two novellas, two novelettes. Um, uh, I've sold about a dozen stories, uh, and um, and I got an agent, and I'm he's shopping a novel right now, and uh, and a second collection. So it's been really fun and really, really exciting. But you know, it's a grind, and you have to, you know, you have to kind of really, really work at it. And you gotta, it's not always fun. You gotta sit at your desk and grind it out. And, and there's a lot of rejections, there's a lot of bad stuff too. And you just kind of gotta fight through it. And um, and and you know, I, no, then I, I'm sorry, I tend to ramble, but. It, you know, I write. So I write a little angry. You know, I, I write a little bit with a chip in my shoulder because I, I, I know that you have to kind of have that attitude to succeed because you have to have a lot. Of, you know, you have to have a lot of drive, um, and you have to kind of really push your work out there, and you got to, um, you know, market it and, and promote it and, and get people to want to read it, and, and hopefully uh, it's good enough and people like it, and then it takes off on its own. Right. But you got to birth that baby first. You know. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's kind of the heartbeat of the show and, and just being prolific and consistent and, you know, we call it kind of being the hard hat creative, you know, you got to put on your hard hat and go to work and see it as a job. And, um, and, and obviously you've been writing good stories cause they're getting, you know, noticed and it's not like you're throwing out junk. Um, and yeah, I wanted to kind of throw it in reverse a little bit and kind of get back to a little bit of kind of where your, 
love for horror and writing and creativity kind of where did that start did that start kind of as a kid were you in a creative home like when was kind of the the aha moment of yeah I, I really enjoy this I like creating I like writing stories telling stories kind of talk to us about that a little bit yeah for sure it's very vivid for me um but I it's it, you know it sounds a little interviewee but I you know I've always known I wanted to be a writer I've always I I would think I was just born with some sort of gene I um, I've always been an avid reader. Um, my mom loves to tell stories about how I was a little kid. I would sit in the corner with, you know, a fantasy book and I, or whatever, and and they'd never hear from me for the next six hours. And I, so I've always been a big, big reader. And, um, and when I was in the third grade, I learned about story writing because you know you, you know you you start learning about creative writing and you start realizing that um, oh, there's a there's a world where you can kind of take all the fun ideas that you have as a kid. And you can actually create these these stories out of them, and that was awesome for me. I was, and I just man, I took off. I was writing from third grade on. I don't think I I stopped. I've had some intermissions and I've had some breaks for sure, um, but 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 not 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 much, and 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 you know not not for a long time. And um, so I've really always known since then. I, I just enjoy it so much. And what was what was you know what's been so fun about the last couple of years is it's been sort of a labor of love up to that you know up to the point up to that point where it's been just a lot of me writing for no other reason than I want to write um, and uh, you know I've written three novels and that'll never see the light of day because I just really wanted to write those stories and I wanted to write those characters and and I really enjoyed doing it um, and I think the the genre thing you know so and the, to get your, answer your question, also, you know, horror was always been, you know, I had this cool book right here. Which, oh, you can see it, but no one else can see it, but I'll show it to you. <laughs> it's the early copy of The Shining. This was the, And a, a Facebook friend of mine sent it to me because I was lamenting the fact that I had lost this original version of The Shining that I that, that was the, the book that made me fall in love with horror. And that was the book that did it. And that was the kind of, that's a replica of the copy. So it'll be in a museum one day, I'm sure. Um, and... Uh, and I read The Shining, and I, like so many other millions of people, I you know Stephen King flipped a switch in my head, and um, and it was like you, you know you you get to that you get that feeling where you, and you just cannot get enough of it, and you can't believe how 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 fun it is and how shocking it is and how it makes you feel, and and King is like I I describe King and I and I think I might be alone in this, but I really think of him as our modern day Mark Twain. I mean, he's really a folk. You know, he's more of a folk teller, uh, a folk storyteller than than a horror writer in my mind. And he writes that way. He's very folksy when he writes. You know, he's got a lot of, you know, sayings and witticisms and mm-hmm. the language of the dialogue and the dialect. It's all it's, so it's really, you know, it's really texturous and also just and it's so easy to get into. Um, and I've learned a lot from him as a writer. And yes, yeah, so I've always read. You know, horror. And then, of course, I you know the the triumvirate of King and Koontz and Barker. You know, I burned through everything that those guys had uh, when I was a kid, and then started exploring other things. And and that was so. I've always kind of you know I've always kind of been a fan of of the supernatural and of horror. So um, so it, it just I think you get to a certain age in your life where I think when you're in your twenties and your thirties, you feel like you should be doing more. Like you you kind of have this this thing where you feel like you should be reading more important stuff and you should be doing more important stuff and thinking more important thoughts. And, and I think you get to a point in your life where 
you're like, fuck it, I'm just going to have fun. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to have fun. I want to do something I enjoy. And I think, I think 40s is probably right over where you hit that mark. At least it was for me. And, um, and so I said, yeah, screw it. I'm just going to write more. And, uh, and it's been great. And that was kind of how it all came together. It's been a lot of, it's been a lot of fun and, and thankfully, uh, successful, you know, to, yeah. to a degree. Well, you do it well. And uh, so this is this is going to be kind of a Halloween special episode. We're going to launch it right on Halloween. And uh, probably wanted to have you on. And so we, we do have to talk about, because I'm, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and we, we have to talk about kind of favorite books, favorite movies. Cause, so my, my introduction to horror, my, my dad thought it would be a good idea when I was way too young to watch Friday the 13th. And so mom was um, out of the house. And we go to the video store and we, we put in Friday the 13th and it just terrified me for, you know, a month. I think I was in their bed. Um, and so, so my, my entry into that was like, oh my goodness, this is the worst thing ever. But then I, I just, I started discovering as I got a little older, some, you know, like King. And one of the things I think with King is that people don't realize they think slasher, they think blood and guts, right. but like, you, you described it really well. He kind of f- folky storyteller. Real yeah. textured. I mean, very ordinary, small town people you can relate to, and every every page isn't you know somebody's going to die, but it's that suspense, it's that build up, and and really you know the things that you know, he always talks about, right? The things that scare you to death. Um, and he, he, from a writing standpoint, he's one of the greatest writers we've seen in the last you know fifty years, and uh, and I think that's a that's a thing that when people talk about horror, um, they they think. I mean, there are different kinds. Obviously, there's the slasher, there's the you know splatter punk or whatever, and you know everybody's getting killed every and raped every other scene. Um, right. One thing I, I liked about your your two books that I read, Mother and Alter, was you took a very ordinary situation and kind of made it terrifying. But again, not going into tremendous gore and everything else, but it was just the like, what is going on here? What what you know what's going to happen next? And you know, going to the community pool and your kids getting you know sucked under the pool. I won't ruin it for everybody, but um, right. But you know, but I love that. You know, and that's a little bit what yeah. King does. You know, it's like you're in this normal town and this normal family, and you know, then the cat is all of a sudden possessed and you know, pet cemetery or whatever. Um, but yeah, let's so let's let's talk a little bit about kind of your your approach to to horror writing, but also let's get into kind of what are some of your favorite kind of books where you said, you know, this is the kind of kind of books I want to write, this is the kind of style I want to write. Um what are some kind of your very specific like influences? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've read any books and said I want to write a book like this. I I, I think I've read you know, it, it's kind of, it, it, it it's it's hard to explain. It, I really love reading, and and uh, and for King, for me, the besides The Shining, The Shining is the only book I ever. There's two books in my life that I physically put down, um, because I couldn't read any further. The first book was The Shining because, the, and it was the scene, it was the the infamous bathroom scene, the bathtub scene mm-hmm. when when he goes into the hotel, when he goes in the room, and I put the book down and I was freaking out. Mm-hmm. And the other book was um, The Last Battle. Uh, by C.S. Lewis, and when all the horses were killed, and, the, and the, I had the book, book down, and I wept, and I was mm-hmm. very upset for a while. So those are the two books. But um, influences, uh, you know, the, I've been influenced by so many things, you know, by so many writers. Because I mean, like I said, you know, I, you know, I owned a bookstore. I mean, I've read thousands and thousands of books, and 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 you know, I and I've read such a wide swath of 
of books. You know, one of my favorite books ever is A Fan's Notes by Frederick Exley. Um, but I, I read a lot of poetry. Uh, I, you know, I love Frank Stafford and Anne Sexton and, and you know, Charles Simic and um, Archibald McLeish and Kenneth Patchen. And so, you know, and, and Faulkner, Sound and the Fury, I mean, Hemingway, you know, uh, there's those guys are all really, you know, really made an impression in my brain. And I, and I think there's an, those all those books and all those voices and all that all those words spill out kind of, you know, through the strainer of, you know, my, my head. And, but, but to answer your question, you know, the, the guy who, and I always talk about Laird Barron because, and I probably people are always sick of me talking about my friend, my friend, Laird Barron, but Laird Barron to me was, he was the guy that, turned on the light for me. He's the guy that flipped, you know, that, 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 you know, guided my hand to the light switch and, and let me flip it. Um, as a writer, uh, you know, when I read the first book of his, I read was his third collection of uh, the beautiful thing, um, that awaits us all. Um, and, uh, and that I was kind of like, Oh my God, like I, he, he does things with language, and beyond language, he does things, uh, and this is this is will tie into what you're asking. He makes you feel a certain way. You don't really know why you're feeling it. To your point, you're not. I mean, he does have a lot of gore and stuff like that, but you're not really um, reading that. But you're still feeling like this kind of denseness. You're feeling a kind of there's a kind of a heavy shadow over you know casting over you as you're as you're reading one of his books or. Or you're feeling me a little queasy. He and and he and I have talked extensively about it, and it's very purposeful. Um, and that's one thing I've tried to do. Uh, one of the things I've implemented in my toolbox, if you will, is that um, creating. You know, some, when you're reading like Alter, for example, hopefully you're feeling kind of a sense of dread in the first like 30 pages of that book, where really nothing bad is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the kids are going to the pool. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're picking that spot to put their towels. Mm-hmm. They're all having kind of their inner dialogues, but nothing bad has actually happened. But I think hopefully the idea is that as a reader, you're feeling like something very bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And very soon, you just don't know what it is yet. So that's something I've tried to implement. So Laird Barron is a, is a huge influence. He's a really good friend of mine. Um, we've become close friends over the years. Um, but he was the guy when I wrote, when I wrote mother, I sent it to him. We'd had a dialogue because I was trying to option one of his stories as a screenplay, and and, and we we became sort of online friends. And, and I sent him Mother, and he got on the phone with me. We spent about an hour or two on the phone, and he just kind of went through like, here's all these things that you could be. Here's all these, you know, he's giving me all this advice, and here's all these tools, and here's all these things that you could do differently, and and and, <clears throat> and to enrich the story. And I did a complete rewrite of that, and all that stuff has stuck with me. And every time. Poor, the poor guy. He reads everything I write, and um, and I we and I I always love to talk to him about something uh, about it. You know, and now it's become more like we'd like to talk about just writing in general, and we and we we share tips and tricks, and it's and it's fun. But 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 he was the guy that really helped me um, exercise those muscles and sort of learn how to just take a story. Um, and make it something that's very physical, and make it something that's very palpable and visceral, and give the reader a real sense of um, of, of of 
of what you're con- trying to convey, whether it's hope or, or dread or joy or sadness or laughter or whatever it is. And, and there's ways to do that. There are sort of little tricks that I always employ. And, um, and then, you know, there's other writers, modern writers. Um, there's a writer called fairly, not very well known in many circles, but Ralph Robert Moore uh, is a writer who I, whose, whose work had a huge impact on me. Uh, he's a very physical writer. Um, and, and that's kind of what I like, you know, that's why, you know, the poetry I read too. It's like, I love words that are like falling rocks, you know what I mean? Like they're avalanches. Like I like, I like to have words. I like to use words that, uh, are creating a, not just a visual reaction, but a visceral reaction where, you know, you feel like, you know, when the boulders are cracking, like, you know, your knuckles are cracking, like, like splitting boulders or, you know, like things that really give the story a, a depth. That vibrates in your in your chest versus just you know a vision in your brain. So those are a couple of guys that I would throw out, um, and and all, and all the other ones I mentioned. Uh, you know whether it be F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, Nine Stories, or or Frederick Exley's uh, um, Fans Notes, uh, or, or Ralph Robert Moore's Go- you know Ghosters, or Larry Barron's Beautiful Thing That Waits Us All. Those are all books that are kind of uh, you know, Anne Sexton and, you know, those guys, those are all books that I, um, I've kind of built the foundation of to, to date of, you know, my writing style. Kenneth Patchings, the journal of all being moonlight. They're all, they're all kind of in that, in my head, um, when I write. And, and I, I just, I just really want the reader to experience the story. And that's my ultimate goal is I, you know, enjoy it, but also experience it. Mm-hmm. No, it comes out really, really well. I mean, that's you. I mean, you described your own own writing. There's a lot of feeling. There's a lot of. Um, so you're using these horror elements. Like I'll use Mother because I just read it. Uh, you know, it's about this this marriage that's you know kind of falling apart, and they have a baby, and you know the the man ends up not really loving the baby as much as he thinks he should, and the wife's kind of something's happening. I won't give the story away. Um, but the thing that you did in that story, which really drew me in was like, I, I just kept feeling for that marriage and that couple, you know, you just kind of, you're just like, what's going on here. And, and then are they going to make it? And, and, and yet all this weird stuff's happening around with the wife and everything else. But, but you're just going like, this is not helping. And you know, this is, you know, there's just a lot of, like you're saying, visceral kind of feeling that you really do a good job with language and, and, and again, I think some of the better horror stuff that we we've read, or even you know King going back to King or Laird Barron or whoever, um, is that's what they're they're after. It's like you know there's horror going on, but a lot of times you're just thinking about that family and you're thinking about the pain or the loss or the the marriage or the job that's not good or you know whatever it is. Um, you know, right. in, the, in The Shining, you're thinking about Danny and this little kid who's kind of caught in this you know, creepy, you know, hotel and with his family that's falling apart and the wife. And, you know, it's, it's just, there's, we all relate to that. Cause if you've had a wife or a husband or a kid or, you know, going to the community pool, you know, I love the altar for that. You know, it's like, we've all been in the community pool. Um, I mean, the thought right. of, of losing a child or, you know, something terrible happening. Um, we, we all think about those things. Those things are what scare us. Those, those things would keep up, keep us up at night thinking about our children being sick or, you know, whatever. Um, but that's why I love storytelling. I, I think it's, it's so much more than, than what, you know, what we think like, Oh, it's just a bunch of killing and murder, but it's really going to those dark kind of recesses of our, you know, our hearts and our lives and our stuff and the suffering we experience and the joys, obviously. Um, you talked about that. I, I was listening to this is horror podcast that you did a while back 
And you talked a little bit about that, kind of going to those deeper places of um, you, you really wanted to write from kind of a, you know, even philosophical, I don't know if you said theological, <laughs> but but just kind of not yeah. not writing stories on the surface, but saying, how can we kind of get below, you know, below that and really get to the, you know, the, the stuff that kind of draws people in because we can relate to it. Um, and that really comes out in your stories. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I, I think you want to connect with the reader um, and you want the reader to, if the reader cannot um, put themselves in the situation that your character is in, then it's not very scary. It's not going to be as scary anyway. Like, um, you know, Fragile Dreams is about a guy who's on a job interview, you know, who wants to be a, you know, a legal aide. And the story starts with a job interview and ends up with him buried under a building after an earthquake. And so, so I always, I, you know, I, I, the Sacculina is about uh, two brothers and their father who go on a, you know, are going on a fishing trip after one of the brothers is released from prison. And, and I spend a lot of time talking about their relationship and their history um, because I want people to be able to say, okay, I get who they are. I understand these people. I empathize with these people so that when the monsters come and the horror begins, you're not, it's not 2D. You're feeling what they're feeling. I, you know, I recently, you know, I, I think it's just important to connect with the reader. You know, I, I, I want my, you know, I want the reader to definitely feel an emotional, um, um, uh, you know, to be tied in emotionally when they're reading the story. So, you know, it's funny because Alter, for all the crazy stuff that happens in Alter, what people always bring up with that story is the sense of nostalgia mm-hmm. uh, of the community. That's the number one thing that is always talked about. I mean, and that story, you know, the second half of that book is like, there's some really crazy stuff going on. But people all of a sudden are like, oh man, I really felt like I felt like I was in that station wagon or I felt like I was in that pool. And I love it. And even, you know, Jeffrey Ford, who I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, he, he, he made the comment to me. He was like, I love what you're doing in the horror field, but I really love what you're doing with these family dynamics. That's what really stuck out to me. So, I'm, I mean, I guess it's something that, yeah, I guess it's just, you know, it's something that I, I definitely focus on. Um, I've done, you know, I think all the stories I've written, I, you know, I, I think majority of the stories I've written – um, are, are definitely about relationships, whether they're brothers or whether they're a husband and wife or a boyfriend and a girlfriend or a family. Um, you know, very, very rarely. I think Fragile Dreams is probably an exception uh, where there's just a solo protagonist. But even in that book, he has flashbacks to his best friend and to his to his um, fiance throughout the story. So. I, I, I do like the human element. I mean, some people complain about that. I, I do get some of those ratings where people are like, you know, it's boring because he spends 20 pages talking about this family relationship. And, I, you know, they want to get to the horror. They want to get to the monsters. Right. And um, but I, for me, uh, I think that's what makes it important. I think that might come a little bit from my screenwriting. I think like with the screenplay – it, with any good movie, it's it's only the movie only works if you care about the characters, right? Mm-hmm. To your point, a Friday the Thirteenth is a kind of a gag movie because nobody cares about the characters; they don't care if they live or die. Um, and I think that you know, really good horror movie, you really do, you know, you really do care about you know the 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 protagonist. You know, Halloween's a great example. You really want you know, you're kind of rooting for Jamie Lee Curtis to survive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I think there's, I think that's kind of something I definitely put into my work. I, it, you know, I think it also comes from my literary background where all of my early stuff was all character-based literary fiction. Um, there was no supernatural stuff and there was no horror. So it was, it was dark, but it was all character, you know, very much about the characters and what was going on in their heads and, and what was going on with the people around them. And, uh, so I think that's carried over into, Mm-hmm. Into the into the into the genre writing. I'm very excited for you to read uh, some of the stories in the collection. I think when you read Mandala, uh, which is the final story in my collection, it's a it's a novella, and it's about a a son and his father who go to their summer home. Um, and I, I'm I think you'll I, I, I'm excited for you to read it because I think based on what you've told me, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So so you know, well, put that one in the queue. And I think there's a there's a lesson to learn here too for aspiring writers that are listening is is when we think about ideas or you know originality, I, I think sometimes we we think it's got to be this like nobody's ever thought of this. But I think when you can do a little bit what you're doing, you know, put put a uh, build a story around a marriage or build it around two brothers or build it around like that's we all get that like we can relate to that. I know Stephen King talked about how a lot of his stories had children in it because he had children at the time and that's just what he knew. Right. And so he just said, "Well, how can I put children in jeopardy or put, you know, put put families in a in a difficult, you know, difficult situation or and make it scary." Um and, and I think that's, you know, you don't have to look very far, you know. Um I I read uh I don't know if you've read uh, Josh Mallerman's story, you know, uh, what is it? In the lake uh house in the lake. Yeah, um, I did. And you know, it's it's a boyfriend and girlfriend and they're on, on a canoeing trip and you know all that. It, it's just very ordinary. It's it's a romance, but then there's this, you know, house that's under the lake and what is this? And you know, um I mm-hmm. I love that. I think again, I think it's relatable. I think, you know, as writers that are listening, you know, is saying what what could you do to kind of just take an ordinary situation and kind of put a spin on it? And um and and it, it makes it's like a double horrifying thing. And I think that's why your stories are, you know, so powerful to me is you got this marriage is falling apart, but then you also got this kind of mysterious what's wrong with the wife and something's going on. That's like this double whammy. You know, you go to yeah. the pool, you go to the pool and obviously the mom's having some issues. I won't, I won't ruin the story, but she's got some things going on, but then obviously something crazy happens at the pool. And so you got this kind of double emotional thing. And, and the, and the daughter has a bad day. As yeah. Well. Right. The daughter right. too. The yeah. Sister, yeah. So it's just, you know, and that's what makes for good stories like conflict. You yeah. just got to beat the characters up. You know, if, if they're not, nothing's happening to them or nothing's, then it's a boring story. They're just walking around, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, it makes them real, you right. know, for sure. I mean, and the thing that I think the reason there's so much stuff about kids is because, and I've, there's really no more horrifying period of time in your life than when you're a kid. And what Alter is about, to some extent, not that I'm saying it's a big metaphor or allegory or anything, but to some extent, it is about the loss of innocence. Um, and that is one of the driving themes behind that story is, um, is that – and you know, there's, a, there's a line in that story where – the the kid with the water wings is is you know had just had an incident with a bully and and he and he feels something dislodge inside him and sort of slip out slip out of his body and into the water and dissipate and that's kind of that you know he lost something in that moment he lost something uh that he can never have back and that to me is you know it's it's tragedy but it's also very real tragedy is you know there comes a point in a, in a child's life when you realize the world is full of monsters 
Um, and and there's a and there's a point where you think the world is full of dads and moms and happiness and joy. And for most kids, you know, obviously, but you get the point. And and the, that when there is that moment, where you realize, wow, there's a lot of bad shit in the world, and I've got to deal with it, and I've got to figure out how to deal with it. And that is one of the things that I really, one of the themes that I really went through with Alter. Um, it's very much about that wake, awakening um, <laughs> and carried to a very supernatural extreme. But uh, but that's definitely a big part of that story. Yeah. So let's I wanted to dig in just a little bit because I've only um, read the two two stories. Obviously, you have more stories out there and, and novels and things. But um, I, I want to get in a little bit of your process as far as when you're writing a story like Alter or, or uh, Mother, they're um, – you can correct me if I'm wrong. There are, I don't know, 50 pages each or so kind of. Yeah. Novel. Mother and altar are both 11,000 words. Okay. So they're, they're novelettes. So, so when you sit down to write a story like those, because they are, I mean, a lot, it feels at times it feels longer at times it feels shorter. Um, you know, depending on how you, how you see it. And there's so much story there in, in 11,000 words, just cause it's so intense. Um, do, do you kind of have that in your mind? Like, you know, I feel like this is going to be about a 10,000 word, 11,000 word story, or is it just kind of go till where it feels right? Or kind of, how did you kind of, um, work those out, especially as you were kind of launching back into kind of, uh, well, I should say, or for the first time horror genre kind of stories. Um, did you have that kind of in the back of your mind or was that not really part of the factor? No, it, it wasn't really part of the factor. And it's funny because uh, about a year into it, you know, into doing this, you know, I started reading these, how, you know, these uh, other authors talking about like the best way to get published is to write a 3000 word story because nobody's going to publish a first time writer mm-hmm. if they write a little story that's longer than 3000 words. And I don't think I've ever written a story. I mean, I've, I, most of my story, my my sweet spot tends to end up being right around uh, between about 11,000 words and about 25,000 words. That tends to be where I end up. And I think the reason for me stories go a little bit longer is because I, I do a lot of the character development that a lot of people um, don't necessarily do. And I'm not saying that's a better or worse thing at all. You know, a lot of people will tell you always begin a story, you know, in the middle of the scene. John Langan was on a podcast recently and he had a great story um, and I'm going to butcher it, but he was talking about this teacher, uh, and, and, and all the students handed in their stories and, and then they all got the teacher handed and I, the next day the teacher handed all the stories back and the, the, the stories didn't have any comments or any, any markings other than each story had a red line drawn across the page at some point in the story, whether was, uh, for some of the stories, for some of the students, it was on the first page, for some it was on the 10th page, for some it was on the last page. And none of the kids knew what it was. And then the teachers said, the red line is where I stopped reading your story because you know, it's where he lost interest. Mm-hmm. And I love that anecdote because, um, you know, there is a bit of a, you know, there is a bit of a, to your point, uh, I don't want any lag um, in my stories. I really like to kind of, I don't really like to let the reader off the hook. Um, I'm a big fan of kind of, keeping the propulsion going. Um, it just so happens that for me, though, that tends to be, you know, I, I usually end up at a longer piece, but, um, but there's not, you know, I, I wrote a, a story called Failsafe, which I think is the shortest story. One of the shortest stories I've, I've written, which is in the collection and it's about 3,600 words. But, um, I think the idea is you want to definitely 
keep it moving forward and you want to keep, especially with a shorter story, um, you want to keep the, the, the reader turning the pages and interested. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, you know, if you take an example of, uh, I, I tend to, with Stephen King, uh, you know, his book Cujo, um, Cujo is a 50 page novella expanded into a 300 page novel. There's 50 pages of action and there's 250 pages of stuff that I don't care about. Stuff about the advertising company that the guy works for. Stuff about the family, like stuff that has nothing to do at all with the fact that this dog is attacking this woman and her kid <laughs> in the car. And that's all you care about as a reader. And when he ever leaves that, you're like skimming and flipping the pages to get back to the real story. So I try not to do that. I try and say, I try and stay with the story. Um, and even with a novel I'm, you know, I've written that 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 you know that is being currently being shopped by my agent right now. That novel again, it's the same kind of thing. I, you know, um, I try I try not to leave the story, and that would be, a, I guess, a piece of advice if, 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 if you know, for a writer is you know don't leave the story. Don't feel like you have to like stop and like okay, well now we I got it all set up. Now let's you know let's go but talk about something else where it's like, no man, let's talk about what we're talking about. Let's talk about this, what's happening to these people. And I'm not saying don't switch between characters. I'm not saying don't switch between POVs or, or whatever, because if, as long as it's all part of the same, you know, story, as long as you're all, as long as everything's driving toward that point at the end, uh, then that's great. You know, Mandala is a story where I switch constantly between different POVs, between the father and this other couple and the kid and but it's all driving. You're never not being driven toward this sort of um, you know edge, uh, cliff edge uh, that you're about to you know that you're going to scoot over. So uh, that would be you know a piece of advice I would offer is you know stick with the story and 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 don't feel like you need to add filler even if it's a novel. Like um, always be driving forward. Always be always be in propulsion mode. All you know uh, always you know always be on target. Don't ever lose sight of of, of the um, of the end because that's kind of what you know. That's what makes it exciting and that's what makes it fun for for readers. I think. Now, do you think in the in the horror genre that shorter tends to work better? I, I know I've heard different voices on this as far as really making the story impactful and suspenseful. Um, I mean, as much as Stephen King, obviously, he's written you know he's written in all kinds of genres, but you know some of his books are just so long. Like he just Cujo is a great example. You know, half of it could be cut out, but um, I mean, I like his shorter stuff actually better. Um, on you know, some of it's just the endings are terrible and it just kind of meanders forever. But you know, um, you know, when, when you're kind of thinking about this particular genre, because obviously you, you've kind of found your sweet spot in, in kind of dark fiction. Um, the, the the shorter stories seem to be. I mean, audiences kind of they're okay with it. I don't know why. I could be totally wrong. I just feel like in other genres, that, you know, shorter doesn't work. But it seems like horror you can get away with it a little bit more. Well, I think in horror, you're, you know, you're, you know, you know, when you're telling it, I guess the way I would say it is you're, you're with horror, you're very rarely not, uh, you're not in a, um, very, you're not very, you're in a piece of action. I don't know how better to describe it. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're on a ride, uh, you know, so horror is all about like, this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens and, and and it's all kind of like you know crazy and wild and horrible. 
Whereas if you take like a Wally Lamb book or whatever, it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, there's more of like it's it's more about the sort of like it's more about the, the the prose or it's more about kind of the setting or you're talking about people's I don't know. So I think I think there's just a different um, you know you sit down for a different experience. I mean, if you sit down uh, to you know it's the same with I think with with film mediums. You know, if you if you're sitting there watching a Terrence Malick movie. You are not, you know, you are not in it for the action. You're, you know, you're in it for the beauty of the cinematography and the scenery and the kind of emotions he invokes. But if you sit down and watch, you know, lights out, you want to, you want to show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think horror is that way. I think that in that sense is that um, it's more of a, it's more of a, it's more of a show. It's, mm-hmm. it's, um, you, you're putting people in a, in a certain position, and there's only so much time they can spend in that position. You know, if, if. Um, if the horror, you know, if the if the story is about, uh, you know, you know, for example, you know, whatever, like a haunted movie theater, you, you know, you can't really, you know, you can't really expand that over four hundred pages because mm-hmm. people just want you to, people want to know what's happening in the theater and why it's haunted and what to do. So I think that's why horror tends to be shorter because you're you're creating scenarios uh, that are very action based, and I think it's that sets that's something that you can only really you can't really dilute that too much. Uh, I think horror novels, um, you know, on the on the opposite of that. I think I think you can do horror novels, but I think um, but I think those are bigger ideas. Bird Box by Malamud. We talked about Malamud. Mm-hmm. You know, Bird Box is a big idea that he expands over over the length of a novel. Um, you know, Under the Dome. Talking about Stephen King. That's a big idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the Shining is a big idea. It's a haunted hotel. There's a, all these characters. So, like, The Shining is a great example of a book that needed to be a novel. It's a universe, right, that he created. Um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving pieces. Uh, there's a lot of scene setting, and but it's but it's always action driven, and you you never it never lets up. The, in, like we just talked about, Cujo's a, a novel that should not have been a novel. So, um, I do think that's why sometimes it's horror tends to focus more on the short, the short side. Um, uh, but that's, you know, that's just, mm-hmm. and that's my opinion. But, and that, like I said, my horror novel, you know, and if, if I were to ever write more horror novels, I think I would try and always, create, you know, make it more of a high concept thing so that it's, so that it's a bigger or bigger world that you have to kind of learn more about. Um, but I would never want to write something that was a 50 page story that I made 300 pages just because I wanted it to be a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a 50 page story, it's a 50 page story. If it's, you know, I just wrote a story called, I just wrote a civil war story, uh, called Shiloh that's coming out, uh, in a couple of weeks. And I, and my intention with that story was to, I sat down and I said, I want this to be a 25,000 word story because I was selling it to a specific, it had been commissioned and I was selling it to a specific market for a standalone book. Um, uh, and it ended up being much shorter than that because ultimately that's where the story ended. That's where the story took me. And I, and I didn't want to add a bunch of filler to, 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 to blow it out to 25,000 words. So I, you know, I, what it, I turned in the story, 80, I think it was about 18,000 words. So, you know, you can't really dictate it. I think it's, you have an idea of how long the story is going to be or how short it's going to be. But I think ultimately, you know, the story has a life of its own and it ends up, being what it's going to be, whether it be shorter than you think it's going to be or much longer than you think it's going to be. And, and, um, and you know, I, I think you just kind of have to like be true to the story and not, and not try to make it something it isn't. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's good advice. So let's talk a little more about your, your process. So what has it kind of been like your evolution from, 
you know, predominantly screenwriting, you know, mm-hmm. literary fiction to kind of more, you know, genre horror fiction. Um, you know, has that, has your, does your writing routine change as far as if you're writing a film or you're writing a, you know, an alter, a mother, uh, a novel, um, you know, talk a little about that. How kind of, how has your process evolved as you kind of gotten more serious about genre fiction? Well, there's, the process is very different for the three things you, you, you hit on it for screenplays. Um, you definitely don't just sit down and start writing. You have to, you have to, screenplays are all about structure, structure, structure. So you have to really know um, where you're going. You have to really have all your characters outlined. You have to have all the plot points outlined. You know, you can't just sit down and you can't pants a screenplay. It, you've got to really know what you're going to do with it. Um, and screenplays are very, very, very structured. You know, there's specific beats you have to hit, specific pinches you have to hit, there's plot points. You know, so screenplays is one thing where you definitely start by outlining, uh, creating a structure for it. And then once you have all the beats down and you know what the architecture looks like, then you can begin writing. Um, uh, uh, novels, again, very different process. Like like screenplays, for me anyway, um, some writers are, differ. But for me, I, I, I approach it the very same very same way which is that i want to know where i'm going because i want to be able to put stuff in the beginning middle that will pay off in the third act or that will contribute to the third act or you know contribute to the finale so i don't and i don't have to go back and ask them because i've seen i've read books where they do that and it's clunky and it doesn't read right and i just think you kind of need to know where you're going and i think you kind of need to know what the structure of the novel is going to be i'm not saying you have to have well, I'll take that back. I think you should have every chapter outline. And if you want to change your mind, that's okay. But I think you need to kind of have a very, very set idea of, 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 of where you're going. Because the last thing you want to be doing when you're writing a novel is be uh, 80,000 words in and be like, I have no idea what happens next. I have no idea where to go with this. Uh, you definitely want to know what you're going to write before you start writing it, in my opinion. Stephen King is a guy who does not write that way, which is why the biggest cr- criticism – to Stephen King, you just mentioned it, because a lot of times his endings are, uh, are lacking. And that's because Stephen King never really knows where his, <laughs> how his books are going to end before he starts writing them. He's, he admits it freely and often. So I think that's why some, a lot of times they kind of fizzle at the end. So I think it would be a lot more impactful if you know where you're going. Um, with short stories, uh, you know, I'm kind of a structure guy. I'm a screenwriter. I'm big into three acts. I'm big into kind of going. So I'm more of a I'm, I'm more of a plotter versus a pantser. So even with short stories, I really want to I want to know where it's going to be. I hate reading stuff where you're reading it and you're like, this guy doesn't know where he's going, or this story doesn't know where it's going, or this feels forced, or this feels like a whimsical choice of turn of events. I really think you need to know what your story is about. I think I, I think you need to know. Um, a beginning and a middle and the end. And if you want to flirt with different things throughout and if you want to change your mind, that's okay. But, man, I, I think you should know what the story is going to be before you write it. I, I just don't know if there's – I think you're doing yourself a disservice by just writing something without knowing where it's going. Um, and you'll be surprised because even if you know like um, – you know, you don't have to have like every single chapter or every single paragraph written. But, but you'll be surprised that – 
because then you can kind of like there's this freedom that comes with it. Like all of a sudden your characters are saying different things and your maybe your characters are leading you a little bit different direction or maybe one character is acting a little bit differently than you thought they would mm-hmm. and he becomes a little bit more of a hero or whatever it is. But at least you know at least you have like you can you, you at least you kind of you've built the stage, you have the theater, and now you can kind of let the actors do what they're going to do in your head, but I, I don't think you want to. I don't think you want to wander around in confusion, not knowing what to do next. So that's why I, I think, personally, my advice um, is to have have know where you're going with the story before you write it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you'll find it much easier to like to, to to develop the characters and to focus on the prose and all that good stuff, and and not have to worry about like where am I what am I gonna where am I gonna take this next? It's very. I think that's putting up roadblocks for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, you know, I would, I would caution against it. Well, I think you said something important. It, it's not that if you have a structure or an outline that you have no freedom or no creativity, it's just, you know, you got to write what's on the outline and you know, it's, I mean, that's the fun of, of writing. I mean, if you looked at my outline or your outline, I mean, I guarantee you, you didn't end up in the exact same spot, you know, right. verbatim, like this is <laughs> started here and ended here, just like my outline. I mean, you go, Oh, this Sally said something kind of interesting over here, or maybe their backstory is a little different, or the story took off a little bit. But you're right; it, it's it's so you know on the back end it does pay off. And um, so when you, I, I'm curious your process um, specifically for um, you know novels are a little different. Like if you're let's say you're writing out every chapter a little outline. I don't know how detailed you get into that. Um, but when you're writing like a novella, that's you know basically one big chapter, if you will. Um, are you just kind of putting like little beats um, as far as like, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and kind of these are the characters? Or what does that look like as far as from a novella kind of side? Uh, for something that, for something in novella sized, it's all pretty much in my head. I don't I don't bother like physically writing down mm-hmm. much. Um, I kind of know, you know, I kind of know what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so for me, it's more of just... I, I don't worry too much about this character's going to do this or this character's going to do that or this. I, I, I basically, like I said, I kind of I kind of set the stage and and I know what's going to happen and it, and it's kind of fun in a way because as a writer it's like it sounds kind of horrible to say but you know you're kind of like chuckling devilishly a little bit because you know what's going to happen to these people and they don't know it and there's kind of a lot there's a lot of fun with that right where you're kind of and and I think that, and I may be wrong about this, but I think that comes across in the writing too. I think even if it's subconscious, if you're writing it, two people, if, if you're if two people are sitting at a table talking about their ice cream sundays, and you know as the writer that uh, you know in about ten pages that you know the bomb underneath the floorboards of that table is going to detonate. The way you write that scene will be different than the way you would write it if you didn't know what was going to happen next. And it, and it would not like you're saying like, "Gee, I hope nothing. I hope we don't die today." But there's definitely like there's just kind of you know you're, <laughs> you're you can't help but think about it. So when you're writing, like, God damn, this chocolate is kind of the best chocolate I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. And the woman's like, you know, and she's like, "Yeah, like I hope next you know I hope next time we get whipped cream and the why." And all of a sudden you're just kind of like. But it's weird and it reads weird and it feels weird when you're writing. And I think as a reader, I do think that comes across to readers. I think they're reading and they're like, what is going on? This is really weird. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of something like, uh, you know, again, with Mother or Alter, um, 
I know what's going to happen. Like mother would not have been the story it was if I did not know what was going to happen at the end, which is a big kind of a, you know, unexpected ending. Mm-hmm. But all that I knew all the way through what was going to happen at the end. And so all that interaction between those, that couple and all that, you know, all the, the, the little nuances and the way they reacted to each other and, and the way they kind of, and the things that he thought and the things that she thought, you know, the, the way he reacted, you know, the way he, the, the, you know, and, and, and the little ways I would describe um, her actions or, 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 you know, her, his response to her words all played toward that end. So I think as a reader, you knew, you know, it was building and there's a building tension toward something. You didn't know what it was. So all that to say, process wise, I think it's a lot more fun to know where things are going because I think it will really enhance the story that you're writing. Um, and even if you end up changing the ending, that's okay too. I mean, I wrote a story where, um, where I had one ending in mind and I got to the end and I didn't want to do that ending anymore. And I changed it. And, um, it wasn't either of those stories, but, um, or I didn't feel it was impactful enough. You know, I didn't feel like it, I didn't feel like it really landed you know, enough. Um, and so I changed it and that's okay too. So you, it's not like you can't change your mind, but I think it's good to know where you're going. Um, and then, you know, see how it goes from there. Well, and, and I think there's a, you know, one thing we talk a lot about on this show and I've had many guests on is also like yourself. I mean, you're, you obviously have a family and you, you work in a full-time job. It's not like you're just writing. Um, it is when you come to the page and it's time to write, it's like, you kind of have some semblance of, okay, this is where I need to go where you really can maximize your time as a writer too. I think, right. you know, if you're just constantly trying to discover the story and again, like I've done both, it's not, you know, I'm not trying to say this is gospel truth, but um, but there's just something I know. I only have so much time in the day too. Like it's good to know, like, hey, I got a few beats here. This is where it kind of needs to go for the next, you know, hour or two. Get those words in and then move on. And you know, I, I those that are listening, there is something important about that. If you're kind of writing during lunch hour, writing late at night, writing early morning, like you want to maximize that time. So you're not just kind of messing around going, I don't know where it's going to go. And I don't know who's going to do what. And right. you know, at least you have some kind of outline, some kind of beat structure. I think people get hung up on the, the outline itself that it needs to be, you know, you hear these guys, they do 10,000 word outlines or, you know, it's just everything. Oh God, no. So it's like, you spend all your time writing this outline, but you haven't really written anything yet. So you know, it, it can be very loose. It can be, I mean, for me, I just do, you know, it's very like chapter one, one paragraph, you know, and it's, this is where I'm going. And I, you know, I know the characters, I know the setting and all that, but, um, but that just helps me go. And again, I, but then you play like, it's, <laughs> I liked your analogy, you know, about, you know, if you read alter, it's like a community pool, well, let's get them in the pool see what happens. You know, it's, it's kind right. of that you don't have to have every minute detail nailed down, but, but you, you know, kind of where it's going to go, but it's the fun part is to see kind of what they do when they get in the room, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there's, and, there's, and there's things that happen that you don't foresee. And, right. you know, uh, to your point, you put like, you, it's one thing to put a bunch of people in a room and wait to see what happens. It's nothing to put a bunch of people in a room who you have, this is a different topic, but who you have, who you, you, you know how, you, you know, they all have backgrounds and they all have different personalities and, and they all have different nuances and all this, you know, and all this, and then there's, you know, that creates the tension and that creates the, you know, the back and forth and, and, you know, you don't know what they're going to do to each other. And when they do do things to each other, it's like sometimes it's a little surprising, but I, I, yeah, to your point, exactly. You don't need to have a 10,000 word outline for a novel or whatever. I, 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 in my opinion, I think you, 
should just know where you're going with it. You know, even if it's just in your head. Um, I mean, I write a lot of notes and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and, uh, but I think, I think you definitely just want to have at least an idea of what's going to happen. If nothing else, what's going to happen? So that to your point, if you're sitting down on your lunch break, you're not sitting there going, well, what's going to happen next? You're like, you can just sit down and write a couple hundred words, um, that just kind of keep this, you know, keep the story going. Another thing I want to say about that, cause you mentioned it is, um, I, and this is sort of a sidebar. Don't fear the first draft. Don't be intimidated by the first draft. I always call my first draft my vomit draft. Mm-hmm. And the reason I call it my vomit draft is because of what it sounds. Because I don't really think about it that much. I just get it out. I want to get the story out. I want to get all the stuff that's in my head out. Uh, but what happens to these guys? And then I go back and I and I layer it and I, and I go back and I layer it again and I go back and I find little ways to rephrase things and I, and I think of an anecdote that I want to tell here so I'll put it in there and then I, I don't like this so I'll change. so then I go back and I tinker and I play and I I mean I do as much rewrite I spend as much time rewriting as I do writing the first draft easily and then I mean frankly that's a 10 times the amount um, so but it's but, but you can't rewrite until you get the draft out. So you got to get that draft out. And don't worry, man, don't worry about it. Like, uh, uh, when skating on thin ice, your safety is in your speed. You know, that's what, so like, just get it down, get the words out. Don't worry about how they sound. Don't worry if it's good or not. Don't worry if it's, you know, whatever. Just get it all out. Get, write the story from beginning, middle, and end. And then you can go back and you can really kind of like, uh, you know, begin making the bed. But, um, but yeah, don't fear, you know, don't overthink that first draft. Know where you're going to go. Know what you want the you know the story to be, and then just write it. And then go back and fix it, and make it right. pretty. And so, you know, sometimes that vomit job becomes like a glorified outline. I mean, it becomes kind right. of a, yeah. the, the puzzle pieces, and then you're just trying to make those pieces fit where they need to go and make them look prettier. And you know, yeah, you, you change a lot of stuff. But no, that's really good. So, um, so being a a kind of Halloween season special. Um, I need to ask you a couple quick hit questions. Um, and, and this could be any decade, any time. It doesn't have to be anything that's out right now. But uh, must-see scary TV, must-see scary movie. And it can be one, two, three. You don't have to name ten. But for the audience, what do they need to see? Well, my number one horror film of all time is The Thing. Oh, nice. Um, so I – and there's and there's really – there's a the, – you know, there's a – I don't know where second place is, but it's distant. But I, I like the thing is in my mind probably the greatest horror film ever made. Of what what year 80s. was that? Do you know? God, I don't know. Like eighty, eighties. Okay, eighties, eighty one. The other one's in seventies. Halloween would be number two. Okay. Um, I think Halloween is another. Halloween is a great. Halloween's a much more um, arts artful artsy movie than people get realize like the 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 scene the the way it's shot and the way he sets it um and it's very very thought well thought through and it's it's very purposeful and it's not you know it's not haphazard at all there's a lot of the way he creates the alienation and the, and the sense of the, the you know the neighborhood and it's a it's a character it's a that's a fan i mean i love that movie so much and um and uh, so yeah, those those two, and then um, third, I don't know, I, I, Evil Dead Two probably. I don't think you can do better than that. 
I mean, that's Raimi in his, you know, in his at his peak. Raimi also did a movie called Drag Me to Hell, which I think is an honorary mention. Um, I really loved loved that film. Uh, uh, Poltergeist um, is a classic. Uh, Toby Hoover slash Steven Spielberg. Um, so those are is that five? Sure. Those are, those are those are those are all man. Those are all Halloween staples. Mm-hmm. I didn't really care for the. I've seen all the other Halloween movies. I, I don't think they're worth watching. Right. I like. I think the first one is. And I'm not a big slasher guy fan. You know, I've seen all of them. Yeah. Um, and I've seen the. I mean, I guess Halloween. See, the first Halloween is not a slasher movie. That's the beauty of it. It's really. It's it's a it's something much different. And I think that. Um, but I think that there's a, like you know I'm not even a big fan of like the old seventies. You know horror movies. I don't know. I, I just never really got into it. I, I like um, I like some of the I like some of the the eighties stuff. Uh, Alien. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, that's a haunted house in a spaceship right there. Well, you know, there's so many like campy you know horror movies in the eighties that were just so bad. You know, so cheesy. I mean, I think that's what a lot yeah. of kids were ex- exposed to first, and they're just like, "What is this?" <laughs> you know. And I mean, just everyone knows, yeah. okay, don't go in the woods, girl, you know, you're going to get killed. If you're making out, you're going to die. We know, all know that. Yeah. I was yeah. never, you know, honestly, yeah. I was never a big horror, like when I was growing, and a lot, a lot of writers and horror writers, you know, they grow up, and they, yeah. they, you know, they grew up, you know, watching all these horror movies and, and I never really, and I did watch a lot of horror movies, but it never really meant anything to me. It never really had any impact on me. And I still watch a lot of horror movies and I, but I, I just, I don't know. Like I said, I think the thing is a great film, but I like movies that are, I'm more of a supernatural guy, I guess, um, than I am maybe a horror guy. When it comes to movies, I like, I, I, I like, I, I thought Stranger Things, you know, yeah, I'm really excited for, this, for the second half, for the second season of Stranger Things. And, Fantastic. Yeah. And I like, I like movies like mine, you know, speaking of Netflix, I like movies like, you know, shows like Mindhunter, yes. where it really gets into this, like, you know, the dark psychology of, you know, of, yeah. uh, of, of, of man mm-hmm. uh, I think those are so much more fascinating and interesting yeah. Um, but yeah I mean gee whiz uh, uh, Thing and Halloween and Alien I mean those three movies I mean I would put them up against any mm-hmm. any other three movies that people could put out there I think those are that's a pretty holy triumvirate yeah. horror how, films how about must read um, fiction I know you've met, you mentioned some earlier but um, must read fiction it could be in anything it doesn't have to you know other than your books but well I just picked up Joe Hill's new book um, uh, strange weather, but I, I really re- highly recommend not Nosferatu mm-hmm. uh, from Joe Hill. Uh, I, I really I really liked that book. I thought it was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. um, and that was kind of his m- more so than his others. I, I like them all. Heart shaped box. His first one was great too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, other must read. Um, golly, that's a tough one. I read like two or three books a week. So it's hard for me to kind of pick and choose what, if I've read anything that really stood out to me. What were um, the, uh, what were the, uh, Laird, uh, Baron books that you mentioned? A couple of good ones for people. Yeah. Um, I, he's, his, 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 he has three collections that came out, um, from nightshade. There was, um, the Imago sequence, which is his first collection. And then he had a second one was occultation. And then the third one was the beautiful thing that awaits us all. And then he wrote a couple of novels, uh, one is called The Croning. Um, and I think the other one is called The Light is the Darkness. And then he has uh, a collection that came out just last year, maybe the year before, um, um, uh, which I'm blanking on right now. Um, 
the Journalstone novel. Okay. Uh, but I can't remember the for some reason I'm totally blank on the name of the novel. I get uh, the collection. Yeah. So uh, any Laird stuff is good, but I think with Laird it's kind of better to start at the beginning, like start with the Imago sequence and move into occultation, and and then you know because because Laird's um, progress, or, you know, he's he, Laird's kind of always reinventing himself. He, he likes to he likes to kind of advance his his his. Um, his stories and, and, and try different things and, and do different things. And, um, and, uh, and so I, I think it's kind of interesting to watch his progression. Um, he is like, you know, in the, in his most recent collection, which I can't believe I can't think of right now. Um, uh, he's a, a couple stories, uh, you know, um, in there, um, one's called the worms crawl in and one's called Andy Kaufman in the trees. And that are, I mean, they're brilliant. They're genius. They're literally genius. Um, and uh, and there's and there's you know it's he's such a he's such he's such control uh, of of language and, and prose and he's got such a dark um, mind uh, that it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful confluence um, uh, yeah and like I guess Nosferatu was good Joe Hills I, I like um, you know I haven't read yet but I'm reading. Um, you know, we mentioned Bird Box by Mallerman. Mm-hmm. Uh, his Black Man Wheel I thought was also pretty good. Uh, but I'd start with Bird Box. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are all those are all ones that I've enjoyed very much. Any uh, any nonfiction that you'd recommend? Nonfiction. Um, I'm reading. I've been reading. There was this The Occult by Colin Wilson. That's a good one to read. Um, I'm reading this book right now called *The Supernatural* by Willie Stryber. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty fascinating. Um, uh, I, have, I have a I have a I have a stack of books downstairs. That I, I, I tend to read. I tend to have my books. I kind of have a, like a fiction stack, and then I sort of have a nonfiction stack, and then I sort of have like a poetry stack, mm-hmm. and I kind of balance between them. And I like, you even have a novel and a like sort of short story collection. Um, Oh, Brian Evanson is an author that you should read. Uh, his new collection, um, A Collapse of Horses, is very good. Jeffrey Ford's A History of Hell is a short, short story collection. It's very good. Oh, I mentioned Ralph Robert Moore's um, Ghosters. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic, um, fantastic series of novellas. Um, Michael Weehunt's Greener Pastures I liked very much. Uh, Christopher Slatsky's Electromancer I liked very much. Um, uh, 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 S.P. Miskowski has a new book out. Uh, she, you know, she's a great writer. She's a book called Knock Knock that I highly recommend, mm-hmm. um, and a book called Muscadines. That's a little novella that's really that was nominated for Shirley Jackson Award. Um, so those are all those are all kind of off the top of my head suggestions. Cool. So, uh, software. What do you use to write? You're a screenwriter. You're a writer. Do you use anything? anyone needs to know about other than word or what, whatever else is out there? Well, if you're a screen, I will say this. If you're, if you're a screenwriter and you want to be, uh, I don't want to say taken seriously. It sounds <laughs> office, but, it, but if you want to be taken seriously, um, mm-hmm. you want to, you want to be writing in final draft. Mm-hmm. Final draft is the only program that they use in Hollywood. If you send uh, a producer or a screenplay that's written in anything other than final draft to strike one. Mm-hmm. So uh, final draft is what I use for screenplays. Um, and I, yeah, I write in word. Um, and, uh, I do use Scrivener, 
uh, to an extent. Uh, I like Scrivener um, as a uh, outline tool. Mm -hmm. So for um, a novel um, uh, or screenplay, I like to use Scrivener as a lot of. I like how you can add photos and add ideas and add web links and kind of it's kind of a hot and but but it's a great way to kind of structure things. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've used that as a tool. I actually created my own like. Um, you know, the Excel document that I use that's kind of like uh, a hybrid of all these different um, uh, structural, uh, uh, like a John Truby's 22 uh, steps and, you know, Sid Field's three acts and uh, Blake Snyder's 15 beats. I kind of like created a document that sort of like puts all those things into one file so I can kind of, when I, when I line up my, my screenplay beats, I can kind of see how it lines up with with you know, with 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 traditional structure, um, which helps sometimes if you kind of feel like you want to move something around. Um, uh, but yeah, that's what I use. That's what I use when I write. I don't use okay. anything else. All right. Well, our last question is always the same, and it's what we call three truths, and these are writer truths. So you're at the community pool. And you happen upon a live microphone, and this live microphone is beamed out to the writing universe. So writers, newbies, and veterans alike, and you're going to share three writerly truths with these writers. What would they be? Three truths? Yep. Your own uh, writing truth. Okay. Uh, three things. Well, the first thing would be... Um, uh, truths, golly. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know if truths is a, it's coming up as a weird way for me to say these because I'm all, I'm, my, I'm always, I'm always big about inspiration, inspiring writers, but I'll, I, I'll say that, um, I'll say that, uh, uh, it's, you know, it's about the work would be one truth. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not about the hype and it's not about, the sales and it's not about the reviews and it's not about the Amazon stars. And it's not about, it's about the work. And the great thing about that, the reason I'm, that will help writers is because when things aren't going well, when you're getting that fifth rejection or 10th rejection or 50th rejection, or when you're not, you know, whatever you, you're feeling, you're feeling like things aren't going your way or the business side of it, or you're seeing other writers do better and you feel upset or jealous. It's about the work. Focus on the work. Focus on what you're doing and your writing. And man, it can be a relief mm -hmm. to just gonna be like, you know what? Forget all that stuff. I'm focused on this story right now, and I'm gonna really make this the best story I can make it. That's good. One truth: focus on the work. The other thing is, be true to yourself. Don't try and be something you're not. Don't try and be a writer that you're not. Don't try and mimic another writer because they're successful. Because uh, we touched on this earlier. Uh, you know, there really is no such thing as an original story and, and to some extent. There's only original perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what I think uh, people want to read is or an original perspective or a unique perspective or at least an individual perspective. So the more of yourself that you get across in your writing, I think the more uh, the bigger chance you have for success, because even if it's extreme or dark or whatever, somebody it's going to, you know, is going to want, is going to latch onto that spectrum that you're putting out. Um, and, 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 if, but, but if it's not unique, if it's bland and universal, then nobody's going to really latch onto it. So have a voice and, 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 and don't be afraid to express, 
to express yourself. And the third truth is, is it's hard and it takes time. Um, and, uh, and it's gonna, and you, and it's a bummer, but it takes, it takes work mm-hmm. and it takes perseverance. Um, so, you know, it's, you won't, you won't get to where you want to be unless you're willing, willing to, to work hard to get there. And, and it means a lot of lost weekends. It means a lot of not going out. It means a not, not a lot, you know, maybe you don't get to hang out on the couch and play video games. Maybe you don't get to hang out, you know, with your, with your better half. Um, maybe, you, you know, you, maybe you have to sacrifice some stuff to sit at the desk for a couple hours. Um, and that's, that's what it comes down to. I mean, you have to have the work to your point with this podcast, the prolific writer, you have I mean, prolific, you know, to be prolific, you have to, to write. Um, and, and that's the secret to prolificity. Is that even a word? The secret <laughs> to being prolific is, um, is not to be brilliant or not to be smart or not to be some sort of genius or whatever, but it's because you sit your ass in the chair and you work and, and you, and that's what makes you prolific. Um, and don't, over worry about what you're writing just write it and then when it's written then go back and and take a look at it and and see what you can do to fix it i wrote a story called the horse thief um that's in the collection and and i wrote another story in the collection called coffin where i wrote those stories and not only did i go back and tweak it not only go back and change the language and rewrite things i i overhauled it i took major sections and moved them around and omitted them or I, I like horsey, for example, I created a whole new structure for the story, you know, that's completely different than the first draft that I wrote. So, but, but I never could have done those things if I hadn't written the first draft. Mm-hmm. So sit down and write and, and don't overthink about it. Don't overthink it. Just, just, just write it and get it down. And if it's 1500 words, it's 1500 words. And if it's 150,000 words, then it's 150,000 words, but, uh, let it be what it is. Mm-hmm. Love it. Great advice. Love it. Did, you did good. Um, uh, where can um, people find you? Where do they need to start with the Philip Fercasi world? Um, so where can they find you? And then where do they need to kind of jump in with you? Uh, the best place to find me is uh, my website, which is pfercasi.com. And for th- that's my the initial P is in Philip and my last name, fercasi.com. Uh, uh, you can also go to Amazon. Um, I have an Amazon page that does all my books and mm-hmm. stuff. I have a Facebook page, which is you can you can friend me and I will friend you back, uh, where I make all my announcements and and talk about my cat. And um, and I'm on Twitter as well as at Philip Fergasi. Uh, so those are all places to find me, and the and I'm on Instagram as well. I'm everywhere. But the uh, the the best place to start um, is with I think the collection. I would mm-hmm. always push people toward reading Behold the Void, which has Alter and Mother in it, mm-hmm. um, and seven other stories. Um, I think that is uh, a great place to start. And then if you want to get into the other novellas, Fragile Dreams and Saculina, um, if you you know if you feel good about what you read in Behold the Void, then you can move on to those to the newer novellas um, as well. But Behold the Void is the book that I highly recommend you get. And it's six bucks on for a Kindle. Great. Uh, and yeah, it's easy to get. Well, Philip, this has been a pleasure and you are a pleasure and uh, really enjoy your work. And I'm so excited to share this with the world. Uh, they need to know about, about you and your work. It's fantastic. And so thank you oh, thank for you. sharing so much advice and wisdom and your stories, the ups and the downs. It's been, you've helped a lot of people. So thanks for coming by. All right, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
Well, there you have it, everyone. Philip Fracassi. Don't forget that name. What a generous guy, humble guy, offered some huge value, some huge writerly wisdom and advice. And I'm just so excited for him and his success and where he's going and so many things to to pick up, so many things to think about. I, I, I love just the way he he talks about his own process and just doing the work and working hard and, and not being worried about rejection and and what people say but just to keep on doing the work and i think as a writer that's that's one of the most important things is that not everybody's going to love your stuff not everybody's going to you know celebrate you and and applaud your your work but but to keep on working keep on grinding and that's really the key to success and he's really the epitome of that and so go check out uh, pfracasi.com. I'll put all the information in the show notes, but check out his stories, Mother, Alter. Um, I forget the name of his collection, but he's got a collection out there. He's working on some novels and uh, just doing doing some good stuff. So so thank you, Philip, for coming on the show, and we definitely will have him on again. So thank you, everyone, for coming by the first annual Halloween special. I hope you were inspired, encouraged uh, by the conversation. And uh, as I said earlier, if you get a chance, leave a review. We, it really helps us. And uh, and also check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Ryan J. Pelton. And you can support the show, support the art, support the work and the books and the writing and all the things. All the information will be there. And i uh, love to uh, yeah share some, some more insider content with you as well. And uh, so uh, the only thing I have left to say on this Halloween is be safe. And make sure that you continue to get those words on the page. And I'll talk to you real, real soon.